0: Well, happy Easter, everyone. It is good to be together. If you're a guest here, my name's Mark. I'm one of the pastors, and we're so glad that you're here. Perhaps you've traveled from uh, out of town to be with family or friends. Thanks for visiting and for worshiping with us. One of the things that we really enjoy to do around here is to share the stories of how God's been at work in our lives. We call them stories of grace. And this Easter, I wanted you to hear Mark Bunker's story. Mark, last December, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, and within three short months, he died. I baptized Mark several years back, and I did his funeral just a few weeks ago. Mark's life was radically changed by Jesus Christ, and that was very evident the day that he told me, just around the corner here, just a few weeks back, And he said, I just found out I've got terminal cancer and I felt like someone just kicked me in the gut. And yet as I was looking at my friend, he didn't look like someone just kicked him in the gut. And I was really amazed at the sense of peace and calm and even joy that he had. And I just told him, I said, hey, Mark, you know, just so you know, there's a lot of people who love God really a long time who face their mortality And it really puts him in a tailspin. And so it is awesome where you're at right now, but it might get a lot harder. I just want to let you know. Well, by God's grace, that strong sense of peace, that joy, his trademark smile, it was there to the end. In fact, his wife told me that when Mark died, he died with that smile on his face. Christ made a huge difference in his life, his trust in Christ made a huge difference in how he faced his death. And so, a couple years back, Mark shared his story with us as a church, and I thought this Easter would be fitting to go back. And with Sherry's permission, I
1: want you to listen in to Mark's story again. My name is Mark Bunker, and we're here today at the Blue Moon Restaurant, which I own, where I spend a considerable amount of my life, probably 12, 14 hours a day, when I'm not at my other restaurant down in Jefferson. Um, As a youngster, my mother and father both had jobs, so needless to say I was raised by an assortment of babysitters. We were never a Christian family, although my parents did see fit for me to take catechism classes, so they kind of kicked me out of the car as we were going, going past the church so I could get my religion. When I was old enough to get a job, I ended up in a factory that I spent 27 years at. Uh, We were churchgoers, but um, in the way that we'd wake up in the morning and have a Bailey's and coffee, get high, and then uh, go to church, making sure we're the last ones in, and sitting in the back, taking communion and making sure we're the first ones out, because we either had a Packer game to go to or to go home and get high again or just whatever, whatever, anything besides church. We got our 40 minutes in, so we were saved. That continued until the factory shut down, and then I went and bought a restaurant uh, with a full liquor bar. It just continued. Whatever I left behind in the factory, it just stayed on with with the bar because It just was a a different set of friends, but the same thing. It just never stopped. One day after a particularly successful night, I drove up in my driveway and I just sat there, and we just had a great night. But I felt so empty, because yeah, I was successful, everything was going well, but why was I so empty? Why, what's with the void, you know? That night, it came on to me, the Holy Spirit came on to me and said, you know, are you done yet? The very next day, I went on a two-year hiatus with drinking. I gave up the smoking. Within a very short time, we found Door Creek Church, which was recommended to us by uh, some friends, and I found Wittenberg Ministries as a Bible study, and I believe these two uh, elements helped me find Jesus. Um, The Alpha program that they have at Door Creek Church really rooted and grounded me in Jesus and that the Word is true. I believe a a mission trip that I took down to Mexico was life-changing. Now I find that I'm a very joyful giver. I, I, I love the church. Everything's just been about Jesus. I listen to music, it's about Jesus, you know, I, I everything, I'm, I'm, I try and get in the word every day. I've just felt so good about myself and just so, so glad that I have God now in my life that it's just, it's filled that hole that I had, that void that I had for years and I tried to fill it with drugs and alcohol and relationships and everything else, it just didn't work.
0: last 2,000 years, followers of Christ have celebrated Good Friday, remembering Jesus' death on the cross for us. For the last 2,000 years, followers of Christ have celebrated Easter, his resurrection from the dead, his victory over the grave, over death, and over our sin. We have the tendency to take the emotions that we have and project them back on the story. So before the first service at about 8.15, I was talking to some people out in the foyer and one of the women said, you know, I woke up this morning, and the first thing I thought of was, he's risen, he's risen. And I was thinking that thought wasn't on anyone's mind who were followers of Jesus that first Easter morning. Nobody was thinking that. They were all going, I can't believe he's gone. He's dead. So it's easy for us to project the joy of Easter and go, that's how the first Easter was. Well, yeah, there was joy, but man, there was a whole lot of other emotions. In fact, joy was kind of the anomaly. It was, it was the small thing. The big thing was confusion, sadness, sadness. Fright, fear, disbelief, dejection, depression. I mean, there are so many other uh, emotions going on. There was great skepticism. And, and that reminds us that it's easy for us to think, well, man, I feel this way about the resurrection. Maybe you're here. Where are you going? I don't know. I don't know if that can really happen. I, don't, I think Jesus is a pretty cool guy. But I don't know if he's the son of God, and I'm really having a hard time with this resurrection thing. And it's easy to conclude, well, I bet they didn't have a hard time with that back then. Because, you know, they were in the dark ages and believed things that we, in the scientific enlightened era, we would never hold to. Well, then you go back to the story, you find out, oh, my word. Not the religious leaders, but his own followers who confessed him as the Messiah, as the promised coming Savior, that they're full of disbelief and doubt. They are skeptical about the reports that they're hearing that Easter Sunday. It's good to go back to the story that is recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. And it's good to remember that Luke wrote his Gospel. To this young guy named Theophilus, who's this new follower of Jesus, who's struggling with doubt. He's been taught about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and he's wondering, how do I know this is true? How do I know he's the guy that the Old Testament scriptures have been talking about? How do I know that he really did die for my sin on the cross and that he rose again? How do I know that? Luke says, I'm writing my gospel to help you be sure that the things that you've been taught, you can know are true. Look at how he opens his Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So that, here's the purpose, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught so that you can know that what you've been taught is true. And so he says, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know what you're holding in your hands when you read my gospel. This wasn't something that I dreamed up. This isn't something that happened on a hot summer day in the middle of the desert when I was dehydrated and hallucinating and had this crazy vision that I'm the only one who's ever had it and I'm giving you what I've got there in the desert. He's not saying that. He's saying hey, there are a lot of other accounts. There's a lot of other gospels written about Jesus. You hold mine up against the other accounts. And what I'm giving you is a careful examination of the account of how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. So hold up what I'm saying about Jesus to your Bible and all the promises about this coming Savior and see if they jive. And then remember, I'm not giving you my story. I'm not giving you my take. My careful research had me talk to the eyewitnesses who were with Christ from the beginning. They saw his life. They heard his teaching. They saw his miracles. They saw him paled on a Roman cross. And they were witnesses to his resurrection. And hey, Theo, they're still living. So go talk to them. And, and, and if you got any questions, talk to them and say, is this true? Is this your testimony? I want you to know what you're holding. And then from the get-go, he says, I want you to know that the foundation of your confidence in that which you've heard should be rooted, not just in those eyewitness accounts, but in the fact that those eyewitness accounts tie in to God's prophetic word, that God keeps his word. Even when it seems impossible, even when we doubt it, even when it seems crazy, God keeps his word That's why you can know that Jesus is the son of God who died on the cross for you and rose again. So the very first story is a story of God keeping his word to Zachariah the priest, who he and his wife Elizabeth had wanted a child all their life, but man, those dreams are long gone. He's in the temple, the day of atonement, offering sacrifices in the Holy of Holies. And the angel comes and says, Zach, I got good news. God's heard your prayer. You and Elizabeth are gonna have a child. And Zach goes, "Uh uh-uh. Not anymore, we're not. That can't happen. He doubted God's word. That's the very first story. But God kept his word, even though the high priests doubted the word given to him by the angel. What's the last story in Luke's gospel? People who doubted. God keeps his word, but God kept his word. The resurrection stories of Jesus. And here's what's really interesting, what Luke does in chapter 24. So if you got a Bible, grab it. We're going to be hanging out with Luke. We've been hanging out with him this school year. I thought we might as well catch up with Luke's Easter account. What Luke does in chapter 24 is give us three stories from that first Easter Sunday. We're going to meet up with the devoted followers, these women who are going back to the tomb to finish the job that they began on Friday. But at sundown on Friday, the Sabbath started, the holy day, so they couldn't work until this new day, right? So they're going back to finish the preparation, the burial process, anointing Jesus' body, wrapping Jesus' body in more spices and perfumes. That would be the customary thing to do. Then he's gonna have us hear the story of these two guys leaving Jerusalem for Emmaus, and we're gonna hear that story, and then the final story is the followers of Christ the disciples plus many other followers honkered in fear in the upper room. Three stories. And all those stories come back to the same simple, profound truth that I so want you and me to understand today from the Easter story. God keeps his word. He keeps his word to you and me even when we doubt it. Even when we conclude, this is impossible. This is crazy impossible. There is no way... This could happen. God keeps his word. So we catch up with the women first, right? Chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Did Jesus really talk about his death and resurrection before it happened? And the answer is, yeah. In fact, Luke records what he said in chapter 9. This is the first evidence of this, trying to get his disciples ready for what was going to be inevitable. It was God's plan. And Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, this is a title Jesus used of himself, borrowed from the prophet Daniel, the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. There it is. Jesus says it. He says parts of this again in 944, in 1725, the same whole thing about his death and resurrection in 1831 through 33. Jesus was very clear. He kept saying it. It wasn't shrouded in mystery. Guys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders. I'm going to die. And I'm going to be raised up on the third day. It was in plain English, if you will. But they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And so what the angels needed to see wasn't just that the tomb was empty. They needed to hear from God's messengers, the angels that looked like those two men, bright as lightning, not like any men they've ever seen. They needed to hear the reminder that, hey, guys, remember, This is what Jesus said in accordance with God's word. Jesus kept his word. God keeps his word. That's why you can make sense out about what you're dealing with right now. That's the first story. And we note, we note this, that believing in the resurrection is no small thing. Not just today. You go, man, I don't know. I don't know. It was a hard thing back then. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And note what the disciples' response wasn't. They didn't go, I knew it. It's been the third day. We were just waiting for the news. Boom. It wasn't like that. They summarily dismissed the women's report. I mean, if you will, they laughed them out of the upper room. Ladies, ladies. Ooh, it's been a tough weekend. And your emotions are getting a hold of you, and you've lost your grip on reality. This is nonsense. This cannot be true. We saw him die, we saw him buried. He's dead. He's dead. Or is he? Peter had to find out. So he runs and finds that their report is just as he's seeing, the tomb's empty except for the strips of linen that held Jesus' body. That's the first story. The women needed to be reminded that Jesus kept his word, right? Here's the second story. The two guys walking out of Jerusalem, Cleopas and his buddy, maybe his wife, we don't know. Why are they walking to Emmaus, seven miles to the west of Jerusalem? Well, maybe because they live there. And they went to Jerusalem for the Passover. That would have been very typical at the feast of the Passover, the great, great celebration for God's people, going back to God's protection and deliverance from Israel, the angel of death. That's what Jesus was celebrating on Thursday night, the Last Supper. It would have been common for disciples, for followers of God, to be in the city. They're heading out. And the scene here is there's heaviness. The gate is slow. They're dragging themselves back to Emmaus. They're dejected. They're depressed. They're disappointed with Jesus. They thought he was the guy. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the one who was going to save Israel, save Israel, God's people, from these Roman oppressors and more. And so as they're going, they're talking about what just took place They can't believe it. They're talking about his crucifixion. And all of a sudden, like those angels who just show up, Jesus just shows up. But they don't know it's Jesus because Jesus can do this because he's God. He puts the blinders on. They don't know who they're talking to. And Jesus catches up with them. And he says, hey, guys, what's up? What are you talking about? And they like scold him. What? Are you like the only guy in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? No. What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Jesus of Nazareth, have you heard of him? Well, we thought he was the Messiah. We pinned our hopes on him. But you know what? All hope is gone. He's been dead for three days. So I'm thinking, now this would be a perfect time to like undo the blinds. Flip the switch and go, surprise. It's me. I'm back. Check it out. Hands, feet. He doesn't go there. It's really interesting. He goes to Bible study mode. He says, guys, let me, let me, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what the scriptures said about this coming Savior. And so, check out what he says. Verse 25. He said to them, Jesus, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He said the very things that have stripped you of your hope are the things that the prophets spoke about that must happen before he enters his glory. Suffering, then glory. The cross before the crown. Didn't you know that? You're so slow to believe that. Jesus showed them how the whole Bible holds together in him, was pointing to him. That's what this little teaching's going on, and when they were being taught by Jesus, the way they described it was, he was unbelievable. They said to each other, weren't our hearts just burning within us? We just wanted more. We just couldn't believe what Jesus was saying and how he was connecting the dots and helping us see that, of course, the Old Testament talked about the sufferings of Messiah. It's there in the very first promise in Genesis 3.15. The one who would crush the enemy would be wounded, Right? His heel bruised. Psalm 22, his hands and feet pierced. Isaiah 53 talks about this suffering servant who would be pierced and crushed for our sin, who would take our punishment so that we could have peace with God. Through his wounds, we'd find healing. Guys, you should know this about the Messiah. He's going to have to suffer and his victory will be through suffering. Why don't you know that? And so they get to Emmaus. Jesus is going one way. And these guys are going into town. They're going, man, we, we, <laughs> we're not done yet here. We need more of this. So they invite Jesus. Why, can, can we get some grub here at the end? So they go and sit down. And they're having a meal. And Jesus, it says, takes the bread and breaks it and gives thanks. It's just the same language of what he did with his disciples on Thursday night celebrating the Last Supper. And it was in that moment that he, Jesus hits the switch. And they see and They go, oh. <laughs> God, are you got to be kidding me. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. I love how Rembrandt captured the story in this beautiful painting the astonishment on one of the two travelers. And then I don't know if you can see, because Rembrandt always has these dark spots in his paintings, but in the bottom left, the chair's knocked over, and the, the other one is, is down at his knees holding on to him in worship. It's this awesome scene. And then, just like that, he's gone. They're looking under the table. They're looking around. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? He's gone. Well, whatever was urgent to bring him back to Emmaus, that was far from their mind. They knew they needed to make a beeline back to Jerusalem, a beeline back to the upper room, and tell everybody what they just experienced and seen. The resurrected Christ. And so they do that. They break into the upper room where these people, followers of Christ, are cowering in fear and Perplexed and confused with all that's going on in these reports, and yet there's nobody, and they're telling him, the others, that they've seen Jesus. They just ate a meal with Jesus. It's true. And in the middle of that conversation, boom, Jesus shows up. Luke doesn't say that he walked through the door. Look at verse 36. While they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? I'm hungry. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Hello? They had fish fry on Sunday night. (laughs) Guys, we got to move it off of Friday. Sunday night is fish fry. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. This is awesome. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. It's like all through chapter 24, you feel like there's these echoes of God's voice and Jesus' voice going, I told you so. I told you so I told you so that's exactly what Jesus said this is what I told you well I was still with you everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses the prophet so Moses gives us Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy the first five the prophets the rest the Psalms in the middle and then he opened their minds. He has a Bible study with them so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And I'm gonna send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high alluding to the gift of the Holy Spirit that hadn't been given yet to all of God's followers. God keeps his word. Now, I'm thinking, if you and I were followers of Christ at that time and experienced what they experienced from Thursday night to Sunday morning, so here's what we've experienced. We've experienced the Passover meal together, Jesus talking about someone betraying him, we experienced the arrest in the garden of Gethsemane. We heard about the bogus trial. We we to our horror saw him dragged off to Golgotha's hill, Rufus carrying his cross at the end. We saw Jesus impaled. We heard it, not just the hammer hitting the nails. We we heard the cries of Christ. We heard him suffering on the cross. We saw him asphyxiate. We saw the sword thrust through his side. We saw his limp, dead body taken off the cross. We saw it wrapped for burial and placed in Joseph's tomb. We saw the stone rolled over the entry. We saw the stone rolled back on Sunday. We saw the empty tomb, the grave closed. And now we've literally placed our fingers through the nail holes. End of story. I mean, what else would a follower need to believe that this is true, that Jesus is God's son, and he did what he said he was gonna do, and he's risen from the dead. I mean, come on. But that's not what Jesus did, right? I mean, yeah, he did this. He ate the walleye, whatever they had. But they needed to know. Because, you know, it's just like an experience like that where maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe a few years, you go back and you go, really? Were, were we just kind of losing it? Did that, really? And he needed them to know that the only way they can make sense of what they were experiencing is to connect that experience to God's word and God's word spoke to it. These things are true. These things have been talked about. This has been God's plan all along. And you and I need to understand that God in his grace didn't just give us eyewitness accounts that you and I will never meet and left to go, man, I wonder if, Luke got it right. I wonder if he just fabricated this whole thing. God in his grace over centuries. Psalm 22 is written a thousand years before Christ, talking about the Savior's hands and feet being pierced. Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Christ, that he knew we needed to know what they needed to know that this was God's plan all along and it was recorded in God's word and God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Even when we doubt it. Even when we go. No way, it's impossible. And so, I want you to know that there's nothing going on in your life right now where God doesn't speak into it through his word. They, they, they needed to interpret their experience through the scriptures. You've got some incredible highs going on right now. You may know, I, I think I know exactly why this is happening. Because I'm really a hard worker i really, and the Bible says uh, it's, it's more than that. It's all about grace. You may be going through some just awful, awful things and, and you may have it all figured out in your mind. The reason I'm going through this is because I messed up and it's payback time. And God's word says, no, that's that's not right. That's not how God works. You may be right in the middle of good and awful, and it's just all confusing right now, and you don't understand it. And, And God's word comes and gives us truth and clarity. We need to hear God's word. And so that's my challenge, is to pick up a Bible and begin reading it. If you don't have a Bible, just grab one on the way out. We'd love to gift it to you. It's yours, free. Just grab it. And what I always like to do is say, head to the Gospel of Mark. And the reason is, it's short. You can get through it, straightforward. You can do it this week. Keep your eyes on Christ. Is he who he said he is, the Son of God? Is he the kind of leader that is worthy to surrender control of your entire life, all that you have and are, into his hands? Is he who he said he is? And I would hope, if you're a part of this place, hearing God's word, that you would come to the very conclusion that Mark Bunker had when he said, you know what? I found out that God's word is true. And I'm so glad I have God in my life because I was trying to use drugs and alcohol and relationships to fill that void. But it's been Jesus who's done that. And here's what you need to know. This is not any ordinary book. The Bible says it's living and active. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It gets to places in our minds and our hearts that we might not even want it to get to. But it's a good word, even if it hurts, even if it cuts. It's a good word meant for good. And so there's a couple implications that I think are really clear coming out of this text. If God kept his word about raising his Savior from the dead, and if that Savior is Jesus, then we need to be prepared for our resurrection because the Bible says one day all of us will be resurrected. You may go, I don't know if Jesus resurrected from the dead. I don't know that. Well, what you need to know is that you can't deny this. The Scriptures speak to that. The New Testament says that's what happened. It was fulfilled. So you better be prepared that there is going to be, for each of us, a resurrection. And here's how it goes. This life is a dot. Eternity is this endless line. We live on the dot, in the dot. We prepare for life in the dot. What we're preparing our life for is life at the end of the dot. We need to prepare for life after the dot. Because the resurrection says there is life after the death. That's one of the implications of the resurrection, that there is life after death. Jesus is the first fruits of being resurrected from the dead. And so, am I prepared for that? And here's how it goes the decisions we make on how to live our life today, with or without God, impact our experience on the line. And God's not going to put us in a stranglehold. He is kind, He is gentle, He is gracious. He has allowed us the freedom to choose how we are going to live, live our lives, with him, without him. You want to do life without God? God says, fine, you can do that, and you can do that then forever. That's called hell, eternally separated with me, from me. You want to do life with me? Then you can do that now, and because of God's grace and your complete trust in Christ and his good work, not yours, you can live with me forever. Be prepared. Be prepared and I invite you to consider that the way to be prepared is to trust that God keeps his word. Take him at his word. Be prepared. It's such a sober kind of deal that we're not used to thinking of at Easter. And then until that day, there's this whole hope metaphor going on, this whole truth about hope. We need to be hopeful. I mean, here's the beautiful thing about this story is the patience of Jesus right, with his followers. He's incredibly patient. I mean, it's unbelievable. There's only one person who's chewed out, right? One person in the whole story that that gets a tongue lashing. Who is it? Jesus. (laughs) The two on the way to Emmaus, they chew him out. Jesus could have chewed out anyone and every one of his disciples. He doesn't do that. He's so gentle. He's so patient. It's so beautiful. We were visiting my dad this past week. He's 90 years old. He lives down in Sun City, West, Arizona. Still lives in his home. He's had a lot of health complications. He's pretty much confined to a wheelchair. And everything he does takes a lot of time. I said to Dad on Sunday, hey, after church, you know, we're kind of really close to the In-N-Out. i got to run to Costco. Why, why don't we just go to In-N-Out Burgers? He goes, oh, no, no, i got a corned beef in the crock pot. We'll have dinner here. It took him three hours to get dinner ready for us. Can I help? No, no, I got it. I got it. Boil some potatoes, carrots, and make a salad. Cut up the corned beef. Three hours. So Luke, our 17-year-old, was, was with us. And he says to me later that week, wow, dad, I had no idea that your dad was so patient. I said, you know what, Luke? He's been like that as long as I've known him. Then Luke looked at me and said, you didn't get that quality, did you? (laughs) Oh, man. Now, one of the things we gotta remember God sent his son out of his loving heart to do what we couldn't do for ourselves and to help us understand who God is. Jesus' kindness to his knucklehead followers who were disappointed and dejected and disbelieving. He's showing us what God the Father's like. That is such good news. Be hopeful. You need to know that as you're struggling with doubts. Because you know what? You you may have grown up going, I've always believed this, but no, I don't know. I don't know. There's been some hard stuff in your life and you're wondering, is it true? And you need to know that God loves you and He's gentle, gentle, with doubters he's gentle with skeptics hello on friday on his way to the cross he prays father forgive them who's he talking about not his followers who are going to just lose their way but the people who are going to nail him to the cross this is our god be hopeful in his mercy and his grace be hopeful if you go man i'm just like peter I feel like maybe in a grand moment, I have just turned my back on God, or maybe it's just been this slow slide over time where I'm just moving further and further away from God. Be be encouraged that there's a footnote, and it's the only place in all four Gospels. Verse 34, footnote, on that Easter day, he appeared, he sought out Pete. Oh, I love that. Because, you know, it's really easy when we find ourselves falling away from God just really messing up our lives, knowing we've done things that just dishonor him and and haven't been good in our lives and glorifying to him. It is so easy to believe the lie that, you know what? God can't forgive that. God's done with me and it's too late. No, it's not. Be hopeful that he sought out Peter and he's chasing you and me down every day, whether it was a good day for him or not a good day this grace and be hopeful when you, you turn on the news and you hear about massacres like in Kenya this week and you go what is going on and you think of the things that are going on in our nation and things that are going on in the nations and you think about this the challenges in our own city and you think about the stuff in our own families and it could lead you to despair be hopeful Because Easter says, man, the story's not over yet. The one who rose and ascended into heaven is coming back again. We live in the middle of the story, and we've been given this beautiful picture of the rest of the story in his resurrected body. There is some things that are similar to his old body. They can touch and and see the nail prints, but there are things that were completely different. And not only are we going to get the new resurrected body, but we're going to be living in a place where there is no esophageal cancer. There is no mass murder. There is no racism. There's no hatred. There's no... All the things that are crazy in our world, all the things that are crazy in my heart, it's all gone. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more death. And so we're filled with hope because we know it's not the end of the story. And until that day... He says, go to the nations, church. Go to the nations. And let people know where they can find peace with God, where they can find forgiveness. Let them know it's in Jesus. You can't do it in your own strength. So be clothed with the power and high. Do it in the spirit's strength. And until he comes or calls us home, may we keep pointing people to our great Savior, the source of all hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your patience with us, your love and kindness to us. Show us that your word is true for those who, who brave into the scriptures this week. We thank you that your word is a word that gives faith. It grows faith. May we truly believe that you keep your word, and because of that, we can take you at your word And that your word points us to your son, our Savior, who loves us so much that he died for us. And so keep us safe, Lord, from all the things in and around us that we would trust in more than you. And I pray, Father, that you'd use your church, your church here around this city, around this state, nation, and world to beautifully represent you, your hands, your feet. May we extend the hope of Easter to all you've called us to serve.
1: In Christ's name we pray.